Good morning. Well, I just spent the last two crazy weeks over Camp Manawagon, so I'm a little bit exhausted, but more than that, I'm just full of the Holy Spirit, of what I witnessed over there over these past few weeks. Um, I think if you probably have a child or a grandchild that's been at Camp Manawagon, you're very appreciative that we have that place so close. We have amazing counselors. Uh, they're able to go over there and have a lot of fun for a week and grow in their faith. But what you probably don't see or probably don't realize is for a lot of these kids, they need Camp Manawagon. And I witnessed that these past two weeks. There's kids that their life is going to be forever changed because they spent one week at Camp Manawagon. There's some kids that deal with things at home that we can't even fathom. And they come to know Jesus at Camp Manawagon. And they build relationships with counselors at Camp Manawagon that last a lifetime. And so I know we saw a little video from those counselors, but it just amazes me every year I go over there, the level of devotion that our counselors have. I mean, that was just a small snippet. We have three that are serving from our church. Um, over 20 each week we're serving. And these, these uh, young college kids, high school kids, they could be spending their summers working somewhere else, making a ton more money, having a more flexible schedule, uh, having time and opportunities to actually date and find someone that they want to spend the rest of their life with. But they devote their summers to, to just loving on these kids and sharing the gospel with them. And it's an amazing thing to witness and be a part of. Uh, I, as a father of two of those campers, am forever grateful for that. I appreciate that. And I've got to know a lot of these uh, counselors on a personal level as I'm over there spending time at camp. And... Um, it's just a blessing to my heart. I get to know them and see what their goals are and their vision. And they're going to be some amazing uh, dads and moms and, and, and husbands and wives and leaders of their individual churches one day. And I just, I'm so blessed every year that I get to, to, get to spend time with them. And as I, I was spending time with them this past week um, and getting to know them a little bit more, I can't, I can't help but think about their future and what God has in store for their future. Some of them are going to be attending college for the first time this fall. Some of them are just finishing up their degrees. And some of them are just maybe a year away from getting married and starting a family of their own. And God has made them with a desire. He's, he's made us with a desire to fall in love, to get married, and to start a family and have children. And yet for so many, that desire turns to heartache. As we've been talking the last couple of weeks here, more marriages fail in the United States than survive. Two weeks ago, we talked about why that is, why so many marriages fail. Last week, we talked that, you know, marriage is not our purpose in life or for the reason for being here. That purpose is to serve Christ, to, to serve Him faithfully. But God has put inside of us a desire to fall in love and to start a family. And yet so many of us, that desire turns to heartache because we make so many poor choices. A lot of these choices will lead to divorce. And if you ask anyone that's here maybe this morning that's on the other side of a broken marriage, many of those people look back and they'll say, there's probably some warning signs, you know, when we were 
dating, uh, if people look back, there's some, some red flags that maybe they ignored because their desire to make that relationship work was stronger than those warning signs. And so their desire to fall in love and to start a family was so strong that they ignored some critical red flags when they were dating. So what I want to do this morning is just spend a little time talking about five possible warning signs that you might be dating the wrong person. Now, I'm going to be directing this message towards those that are maybe starting to date, maybe those that are engaged to be married, uh, maybe those that are approaching the appropriate dating age, which for my daughters, I told them was 45. Um, my youngest daughter, Gracie, seems to be okay with that for right now, but my oldest is uh, not okay with that. Uh, she actually just turned 12, so you can imagine what the next few years are going to bring in my household, some of those challenges. Uh, the dating years are just such a critical season in a young person's life, and yet so many people mess it up. They make poor decisions and poor choices. So I wanted to provide some biblically-based wisdom this morning to help those that are dating to make some good choices. So this message, which is titled, Five Signs You're Dating the Wrong Person, is focused on those individuals, 12 to 112, that are thinking about a future with someone permanently. And if that's not you, maybe you're happily married, maybe you're unhappily married, maybe you're widowed, maybe you have zero interest in dating at all. I want you to hang out with me here and stick with me this morning because what I'm about to talk about this morning is so important to starting and maintaining a healthy Christian home. And for us as believers, uh, it's all of our responsibilities as Christians to hold our church families responsible and accountable for warning signs when they're dating other people. So some of you this morning may not be on the dating side of this message, but you may need to provide some good counseling to those that are. So this morning, let's, let's just get started with a word of prayer. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for what you put on my heart this past two weeks to share with our church. Lord, I thank you for your message. I, I just pray this morning that you give me the energy to deliver it and that it's your word and not mine. I pray no matter where we're at in this church family right now, whether we're dating or been happily married for years or we've been on the other side of heartache, that you just speak to our hearts this morning about what we need to hear, the message from your word that we need to hear, and how we can maybe help ourselves in our relationships or help those around us to give godly advice on what it should look like to date an appropriate partner. What are some of the warning signs and what are some of the good things that we should be looking for? And so I pray that that is the message this morning and you speak to each of us. We invite you into this place this morning and we give you all the credit and we give you all the glory for it. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So I want to start this morning in Proverbs because if you're looking for godly wisdom, Proverbs is probably one of those books that you want to go start with. Uh, so we're going to start in Proverbs 27 if you have your Bible with you this morning. Uh, primarily, I'm going to be reading from the NIV, but there are some passages uh, that will be on the screen that I, I chose uh, the New Living Translation because I, I just like the way that uh, it was spoken. Uh, but Proverbs obviously gives us a lot of godly wisdom. So uh, wisdom for our marriages, obviously, that's what we're going to be talking about today. Marriage for uh, counseling and, and guidance for life. 
Um, so there's a lot of wisdom that can be found in Proverbs. If you're struggling with something, maybe your marriage, your job, your relationships with other people outside your marriage, Proverbs is a good place to start. And so we're going to be starting in Proverbs 27, verse 12 this morning. It says, The prudent see danger and take refuge, but the simple keep going and suffer for it. The first person's prudent, they're sensible, and they see danger coming, and they either flee, they run from it, or they take shelter from it. The other person is the simple person, and they see danger, and even though they know there's warnings, they know there's danger approaching, they keep going, they head right towards it, and they pay the, pay the price later. Some of you are probably married this morning, and you probably remember a time when you were dating someone, and there were some obvious red flags as you were dating that person, that this might not be the right person. And hopefully most of you are the prudent person, and you took off, and you ran from that situation. And years later, maybe you found that person that checked all the Christian boxes, and it was all green flags, no red flags, and hopefully you married that person. But statistics tell us that the majority of people will see that danger and they'll crash into it head on. They'll ignore all these red flags. So I'm going to tell you this morning what we're going to talk about may seem very strange to the world. May seem very extreme to the world. And the reason is, is because it is extreme. Following God's will for our lives, following God's will for marriage and love is an extreme idea to the world that we have found ourselves in right now. But this message this morning is for those of us that want to live a Jesus-centered life. We want to follow Jesus faithfully to start a family with Jesus at the center of everything we do, all the decisions we make, all the roads and paths that we take. This past summer, our scripture verse, our key scripture verse at Camp Manawagon was Ecclesiastes 4.12, which many of you are familiar with. We hear this a lot of times at weddings. And it says, a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Because this marriage is not a partnership. It's not a husband and a wife. It's a third person in there, and that's Jesus at the center of everything. That's not the norm for the world that we live in. That's not normal for us to think about in our culture. What's norm is two strands that can be easily broken. What's normal for our culture is divorce. What's normal for our world is dadless homes. Broken hearts, broken families, a broken covenant. What's normal today is two dads and two moms. And anything but God's definition of a marriage, which is one man, one woman, and Christ. So what we're going to talk about this morning may seem really weird to our world. may seem really extreme. But we're going to look at five signs this morning that if you are in a dating relationship, if you know someone that's in a dating relationship, these may be some pretty big flags that we need to, to be aware of. 
We're going to start with the first one here, and it may be the most obvious red flag or warning sign that we're dating the wrong person, and that's when that person is not consistently pursuing Jesus. If you're a Christian and you're consistently pursuing Jesus in your life, you want to live a Jesus-centered life, it's an obvious red flag if the person that you're dating is not doing the same thing. It's not that you're perfect or they're perfect, but you're on a journey as a Christian, as a believer of Christ, to be with your partner conforming to the image of Christ. And so this is where so many marriages and relationships start off on the wrong path, start off on the wrong track, because one person is consistently pursuing Jesus and the other wants nothing to do with him. This may seem extreme, right? But if you're consistently pursuing a Jesus-centered life, why would you want to date someone who is not? If you meet someone, most of the time when we start to get to know someone, we start having this initial conversation, your instinct is going to be to talk about things that you care about, things that you love. If you care about your job, you're going to talk about your job. If you're Sports car is important to you. You're going to talk about your sports car. If you dream of traveling the world one day, you're going to talk about that. And so I would suggest to you, if you start having these initial conversations with someone, and you start dating someone, you're trying to get to know them, and you don't hear about Jesus in the first hour, they're not interested in pursuing a Jesus-centered life. It's not important to them. If you have to ask questions like, where do you go to church? Tell me about your faith. Do you believe in Jesus? Those should be red flags for you. And that seems pretty extreme. But you're going to talk about what you care about most when you start to get to, to know someone. And if you're a believer, that should be what you're talking about. If that's important to you. Jesus said in Scripture, actually the Apostle Paul said in Scripture, that it's a very clear warning that if we're not equally yoked, it says do not be yoked together with unbelievers, right? That is a warning from the Apostle Paul. We should know that pretty early on, whether that person's an unbeliever or not. That's not something that we have to wait two months, three months, a year down the road when you've already built something with someone. That should be something that you know in the first hour. If someone is a follower of Christ, they will know about it. You will know about it right away. What Paul's saying in that uh, passage here is if you're not a Christian, don't try to build a marriage, don't try to build a family with someone who doesn't have the same spiritual beliefs or the same spiritual foundation. He goes on to say, for what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? This isn't criticizing the unbelieving person. There's amazing people in our world that are not believers, but we shouldn't build a life with them. You have a different spiritual foundation that's almost impossible 
to build a rich and God-honoring life with someone if they have different spiritual values. And I get it. Dating is not easy. You know, I see that with our counselors. I see it with the youth that we work with. Dating young people, it's not an easy thing to do. And, and those people might be saying to themselves, well, or they might be saying to you, well, God's just limiting my options. Why is God making it so difficult for me to find the right person? I'll just find a person. That's not what God is doing at all. God is not limiting you. He's loving you. He's protecting you. He wants you to share your most treasured gift with someone who believes that Jesus Christ is their most treasured gift. In fact, we just went through a series in the book of Amos, and there's a powerful uh, verse in Amos 3.3 where the prophet asks the question, can two walk together unless they've agreed? Can two move in the same direction? Can two build a life on unequal values, on incredibly spiritual differences? I promise you, what you believe spiritually will impact every area of your life, and especially your marriage. Imagine trying to raise children with different spiritual foundations, different beliefs, what you think about God, what you think about eternity. I mean, whether you go to church or you don't go to church, what movies you watch or you don't watch, how you parent your kids. If you go to church, do you get involved in a grace group? It's going to influence everything spiritually, not to mention financial areas. How, how willing are you to give to those in need? Where do you spend your money? Is it going to be on more on toys, or is it going to be more on helping the neighbor down the street? What kind of parties are you going to go to as a married couple? Do you go to parties at all? What kind of friends do you bring into your family? into your home? How do you treat other people? Your spiritual foundation affects everything about your life and your marriage. Is divorce even an option? Imagine being in a marriage where one person thinks that, yeah, divorce is an option, and the other person is a godly follower of Christ, and they say, no, this is a covenant. We can see why so many homes are broken when we have a different spiritual foundation. We stand for different things. It's going to affect everything we do, everything we value. If that person that you are pursuing is not pursuing Jesus passionately, it's going to be difficult for that person to love you fully the way that God intended. Because God is the one that moves our hearts. If you have committed your life to Jesus, don't give them your heart unless Jesus has theirs. Don't compromise. Don't try to build a life with someone and hope that they change later. Because if they have a different worldview, it's most likely that they won't. What you believe about Scripture, about God, about eternity, matters more than you could ever imagine. The second warning sign would be that those that you love don't really love who you're dating. If you do have a strong community of Christian believers, of friends around you, 
and you're starting to fall in love with someone, and they're like, eh, I'm not so sure about this person. I don't think that they're maybe being honest with you or loyal to you, and I don't see that they're really going to church or doing anything spiritual. As a Christian, we are called to have other strong Christians in our lives who will love us, will assist us, support us, defend us, and be honest with us. And those people are your parents, your, your family members, pastors here at the church, teachers here at the church. We want those people in our lives, and they may be able to see something that we can't see because we have the blinders on. So when we start having those conversations with our friends and they're like, I'm not so sure. I mean, I know that they're good looking. I know they make you feel all tingly inside, but I just don't think that you're, they're treating you with the respect that you deserve. Or maybe they're pushing you beyond your Christian boundaries sexually or in different ways. They're encouraging you not to come to church or spend time with your family. We need to listen to that red flag from the counsel of our friends. Proverbs 27.9 says this, The heartfelt counsel of a friend is as sweet as perfume and incense. You have to listen to those who love you. And it may be hard to do. Maybe the problem there is you don't really have some good godly friends that, that will be honest with you. Maybe it's time to change friends. I'm so thankful for my Christian friends. Now, I'm, I've, I've been married for 18 years. You know, we've, uh, we've grown substantially. But there's still things 20 years into a marriage that, that I can go and talk to my friends about because they've been through it. They went through it five years ago, 10 years ago. So it is a healthy thing to have good godly friends in your life that you can talk about. You know, if I have a child that gets sick and my friend went through that, I can, I can talk about that with that person. We need godly counsel. And if we have that and they're warning us about a relationship that we're in, we need to listen. Because if you have those people in your life, they have your best interest at heart. They love you. They want what God wants for you. And so if our friends don't really like that person, don't really think they're right for us, don't think that they're equally yoked with us, that it's just three separate strands, then we need to listen to that person and move on. We need to stay prudent. We need to be alert for these red flags, and we need to be alert when the person that we're dating is not consistently pursuing Jesus or the people around us are saying, this person is just not right for you. Or maybe this is the next warning sign of our relationship is that we don't experience healthy conflict. Every couple in this room will tell you that you're going to have conflict. Whether you're dating, whether you're married, whether you're married two years or 100 years, you're going to have conflict. And that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about how we have conflict. Because healthy couples will fight fair. Unhealthy couples will fight to win. They fight dirty. 
Healthy couples will fight for resolution. We want things to work out. We want to grow. We want to learn. And we do that with Jesus guiding us. Unhealthy couples want to win. They're right. You're wrong. They hold grudges. They don't offer, offer or receive any forgiveness in that fight. I remember one time when I was younger that my parents got into a huge fight. And I'm sure all of us have experienced that at one point because couples fight. Married couples fight. But now some 35 years later, I still remember that argument, that disagreement. So that's a, a good warning sign for all of us that these, when we have these things, they're very impressionable on a child. So don't forget that. I remember this one argument, my mom was red hot, and I don't know what the argument was about to this day, I don't really remember. I just remember her leaving the house, she was angry, and I thought to myself, you know, this is it, like, it's just me and dad now, and I don't know what we're going to eat, or if we are going to eat, I'm a little worried. I remember thinking that, I remember thinking that she's not coming back, like, this was bad. And I don't know what the argument was about. I don't know what happened in the hours to come. But I do remember in the next morning that she was home again. And I remember that she returned with the international sign of resolve, donuts. So I think that's probably where my love for Krispy Kreme started. And I remember years after that, every time we went on vacation, we always stopped and got Krispy Kremes. And we, they always shared a laugh about it. But what I remember about that was they didn't fight to win. They fought for resolution. They came back, they came together, and they, they talked about forgiveness. They offered forgiveness. They received forgiveness. And even though it probably wasn't my parents' best moment, my mom walked away from something that could have maybe permanently impacted her marriage or her children. And I appreciate that now as a father looking back on it. You know, we're going to fight. We're going to get angry with one another, and that's inevitable. But the Bible says don't go to bed when you're angry. My mom didn't go to bed that night for all I know. She left. She didn't come home till the morning. But when she came home, they worked through it. They didn't fight to win. They fought for a resolution for their marriage and for their family. Maybe you're in a relationship and you're always fighting. That is probably a big red flag. If your pattern is fight, break up, make up, fight, break up, make up, and you've done that like eight times since Thursday, that's not a good thing. That's a really incredibly bad thing. And a lot of people, when that starts happening, well, they'll say to themselves, well, if we just get married, I think that's going to solve that. We won't fight as much when we get married. That's a lie. That's not going to happen. It's like saying, you know, if we just have a kid and put a kid in the formula, that's going to solve everything. That's going to make things incredibly more complicated and difficult and challenging for your marriage. On the other hand, maybe you guys don't fight at all. Maybe you're in a relationship with someone, you're dating someone, and there's no conflict at all. And that is another huge red flag. Because... Maybe you guys are conflict avoidant, you're holding things in, and at some point, it's inevitable that this is going to implode, and it's going to be damaging. 
So if you're dating someone, what we're looking for here is a healthy amount of conflict, a reasonable amount of conflict, and the spiritual maturity to allow the Holy Spirit to work through you and your partner through that conflict. So you can look for resolution, not a victory. When we do have conflict, James 119 provides us some, with some wisdom on that. It says when we're having these conversations, when we're having disagreements, we should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry. For man's anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. And that is so challenging. That is so hard. We don't want to be quick to listen. We want to be quick to speak and to give our opinion and to do that in a firm manner because we're winning this battle. That's the center inside of us. We can only do this passage, be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry with the power of the Holy Spirit. That's it. We cannot do that on our own. And so this is another reason why if you're dating someone that's not consistently pursuing Jesus, that has not asked Jesus into their heart, it's going to be a rough, rocky road. We want to be quick to tell our opinion, quick to command the conversation, to win this argument. That's not what Scripture tells us. It says we need to be quick to listen. So shut your mouth and just listen to your wife. That's what Scripture's telling us, guys. Just think about so many marriages in our country, not just in our country, in our community, in our own church. This is affecting our own churches. How many people, not just in this church or maybe a neighboring church, know someone that is going through divorce? It's a lot of people right now. Think about how many marriages could have been saved if they would just follow this advice in James. To be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry, because we want to produce the righteousness that God desires for us. We have to be prudent. We need to watch for red flags in our relationship. People that are not consistently pursuing Jesus in their own lives. Our loved ones don't really love who we're dating. We're not experiencing healthy conflict. And the fourth warning sign is this. You find it difficult to trust the, the person that you're with. If you find it difficult to trust the one you're with, why are you in that relationship with them? That makes zero sense. Paul tells us some of the qualities of love in 1 Corinthians 13, 7. He said that love always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, and it always perseveres. Love always trusts. That doesn't mean you're going to have some moments of insecurity. That is normal. Is this relationship working? Is it going in the right direction? Do we really care about each other? Does he really care about me? Does she really care about me? Those are normal thoughts. Those are natural. But when you're consistently worried about that person, where were they at on Saturday night? Why wasn't she returning my text? 
I don't know who that person was with. That's a red flag. In some cases, the reason why you can't trust them is because they're not trustworthy. So stop trying to trust them. You know, if he's constantly Snapchatting his old girlfriend, or you go out to dinner with her and she keeps staring at the waiter, those are red flags. There's a legitimate reason here not to trust that person. But it could also be that you're not a trusting person. Maybe the problem is with you. The problem is that you're a non-trusting person. That seems a little bit harsh. But maybe you're a little overly possessive or insecure. You're looking for reasons not to trust that person. And that's a red flag also. Either way, it's a red flag. Why would you be in a relationship with someone that you don't trust? If you find yourself wandering, you know, what's he looking at on his phone? Where was she? Why didn't he call me last night? And that's constant. We need to pay attention to that because that is a red flag. It's a big red flag in our relationship. The fifth and final red flag might be the most important one of all. In fact, I wouldn't just call it a red flag. I'd call it a flaming hot Dorito of a warning. And that's how you know I've been at camp for far too long. I'm I'm referencing camp snacks in my sermon. But the fifth red flag is so important. And that's when the person you're dating is leading you farther away from Jesus than leading you towards Jesus. It's a red flag when you're spending time with someone and spiritually they're drawing you away from Jesus. Or maybe they're just drawing you away from your church or your Christian core group of friends. You're not as gay engaged spiritually with Christ as you were before. And this is something that we need to check ourselves with. So maybe a month in, three months in, a year into a relationship, am I better now, am I stronger as a Christian now than I was when I started dating this person? If the answer to that is no, it's time to break that relationship. Jesus made it very clear to us in Matthew 24, 4, should be on the screen. He said, don't let anyone mislead you. you start dating someone and you stop going to church, that's a pretty big red flag. If socially you stop hanging out with that core group of friends, maybe that's not a deal breaker, but you should pause, take a time out on this relationship and say, is this wise? Is this what I want? This group of friends, we were in a Bible study together. We were in a grace group together. We were doing weekly devotions together. And now I'm drawing farther away from those friends. And I understand, you may be saying this morning, this seems a little bit extreme, right? If you start dating someone and you start compromising sexually over and over again, you wake up and realize we're just rationalizing sin together. That's a red flag. Because Scripture is very clear that the gift of sexual intimacy is reserved for the covenant of marriage. And that's it. 
And that doesn't mean that you're not going to be tempted. In fact, chances are pretty good that you will be. And in those moments, you need to remind yourself that Jesus felt every temptation that you're feeling, and he persevered, and he remained sinless. And the Holy Spirit can help you do the same. And if a person that you are with wants you to live a Jesus-centered life because they're living a Jesus-centered life, they're going to feel those temptations too, but you guys are going to help each other get through those temptations to remain pure and to get through it and to continue forming in the image of Christ. You are going to be tempted to move beyond your boundaries as a Christian because God wired us with a desire for spiritual, emotional, and sexual intimacy with another person. But he did that under the covenant of marriage with our spouse, and only then. And the spouse that God has picked out for you is going to completely understand that. That person will help you overcome the temptations. A marriage partner is someone that you want to experience life with. And it's a friend that wants you to build a stronger relationship with Christ before they build a stronger relationship with you. They will help you draw closer to Jesus instead of farther away. One of the illustrations I used at camp this week was the men who were friends and they had this paralyzed man that was a friend of theirs and this person was desperate. And these friends, they were trying to see Jesus, and the crowd was too much. They couldn't get into this home. And so these friends picked up this paralyzed man on his mat. They carried him to the rooftop. They dug through the roof to draw this man closer to Jesus because they knew that was his only hope. That's the kind of friend we want in our spouse. The someone that's going to draw us closer to Jesus in all that we do as a, as a marriage partner. We don't want someone that's just going to say, ah, church isn't that important. Your godly friends aren't that important. Your relationship with Jesus isn't that important. We want a desperate partner that's going to draw us closer to Jesus every day. When we start feeling these temptations of sexual sin or the person that we are with is taking us farther away from Jesus, we need to go back to that verse that we read at the very beginning in Proverbs 27, 12. We need to memorize that verse. We need to store it in our heart. And we need to watch for those warning signs. We need to be prudent and see danger. Danger is going to come. Danger is going to come, and we need to either flee or take refuge from it. We don't want to be the, like the simple person who walks right into it. They see trouble coming. We know this isn't right. We know this person's not good for us spiritually. And they walk right into it, and they pay the penalty for it. Maybe this morning you're at Grace Fellowship for the first time, and you don't really know me that well. But I'm saying all these things this morning because I truly love you. I care about you. We are a church family at Grace Fellowship that cares about you. We want you to grow in your relationship with Christ. And if you're in a relationship with another person, you're dating, you're engaged, 
you're thinking about marriage, and you see one of these warning signs, we, we need to be like the prudent person, and we need to take refuge. If you're dating someone that's not consistently pursuing Jesus, your friends don't like them, you're engaging in unhealthy arguments, you don't really trust them, or this relationship is separating you from Jesus, not drawing you closer to Jesus. This is not the person that God wants you to be with. It's just not. The expectation for any dating Christian couple should be that if we're not drawing closer to Jesus as a couple, then we need to separate. Because I want to obey God. I want to live a Jesus-centered life, and I care about you enough that I want you to do the same. And you're not going to want to do that, especially if you invested time in that person. But sometimes the change is necessary for God to do a good work in that person. Sometimes the change and the separation is necessary for God to do a good work in you. Because you can't marry the right person if you're dating the wrong person. If you ignore these warning signs that we talked about, the pain on the other side of divorce is incredibly difficult. And I don't want to shame anybody in this room that's that's been through that, but I'm sure they would tell you that to try to create a life together with someone that presents some of these warning signs is nearly impossible. To have kids with someone, to grow old with someone, to create a family, and then to walk away from that, the heartbreak, the disappointment, and the challenges are are a lot to overcome. So listen to the warning signs. Listen to these red flags. Because there's another side of dating, which is very special to God. And those are the green flags. Those are all the check boxes for the Christian relationship. That's when this person draws you closer to Jesus. Your relationship with Jesus is stronger because they're following Jesus consistently. And people around you just love being around that person. They love fellowshipping with that person. And when you do have conflict, you get through it. You grow, and you're better off as a couple than you were before. You're not fighting for a victory. You're fighting for resolution and growth. And when the Holy Spirit leads us through that conflict, that's a really good sign. That you're growing in trust and you have a peace about the relationship. God's hand is upon this relationship. And you wake up one day and you realize maybe this is something more than just a dating relationship. Maybe this is eventually going to turn into a God-honoring covenant of marriage. And there's nothing that God wants more for you than that. We're spending time in prayer with that person. We're growing in our relationship with that person. We're attending grace groups together. We're having devotions together. That's going to have a profound impact on the next generation of children. And I think we can all agree that that's what we're seeing in our world right now. This is the opposite of that. Families that are broken. Children that are growing up not knowing anything about Scripture, about the Bible. 
I'm so thankful that this church and Camp Manawagon both are places where if a child goes there and they don't have a Bible, they get one. There's many churches around that do that. But just think of the impact that we can have on the next generation if we date the right person, if we listen to the warning signs, if we're the prudent person, and it turns into a God-honoring covenant of marriage. You can experience that in your relationship. You can know the blessings that I've known for the past 18 years of Andrea and I being married. And I'm very fortunate. I didn't always listen to these warning signs, but God showed mercy on my life and put someone in my life that checked all of the boxes. All of the green flags were present. And you can experience that too in your own relationship. And just remember Ecclesiastes 4.12. A cord of three strands is not easily broken. That is so important. You and your spouse and Christ. When you and your partner allow the Holy Spirit to be that third strand, guiding you through your life, it's going to have a profound impact on the generations to come. I promise you that. When two hearts aim to please God in everything they do, every decision they make, financially, spiritually, when Jesus is holding that marriage together, it's not going to be broken. It's going to be strong. And the children coming up behind, your children, your grandchildren, are going to see that and they're going to desire that. They're going to want that. And this is only possible when you're sensible, when you're wise. When you see danger coming and you avoid it. And you see God's blessings and you walk towards it. So wherever you're at this morning, whether you're single and loving Jesus, whether you're dating and loving Jesus, whether you're engaged in loving Jesus or happily married in loving Jesus, make sure that loving Jesus, living a Jesus-centered life is the core of everything we do as a couple. The sensible will see danger coming. They're going to take shelter. The unwise walk straight into it and they're going to regret it. You are far too smart, and God is far too good for you to walk into that danger. Maybe today is the day that you walk away from that danger if you're in a dating relationship. Maybe today is the day you separate because you care about that person and you want to live a Jesus-centered life. Maybe today the day is the day that you focus on first your relationship with Christ, and you just simply pray that God puts someone in your life that will be that third strand in the cord. God knows what's best for us. Our Father in Heaven wants us to be happy. He does. 